Okay, so here's the question I'm asking you today. Was last night the most exciting night of hockey this season? I know we've all watched a lot of hockey this year. Um, if you're like me, well, you probably are at least a little bit like me because you listen to this program or watch this program. Um, chances are you, sir or ma'am, watch a lot of hockey games and watch a lot of hockey. Not just like one team and then you check out and do something else, but generally if you're listening or watching a show like this, you watch a lot of hockey games and you watch clusters of hockey games. And Sometimes they all sort of fuse together and all becomes one game and it's hard to separate them out. But normally on a... On any given Thursday or Tuesday or Wednesday or Saturday, you look at the entire night and you pull out one, maybe two games or maybe one or two periods and you say, okay, that was exceptional. That was really great. Last night was an insane amount of interesting, high-skilled, at times, violent hockey, the likes of which we haven't seen consistently all season long. Now, there's a lot at stake, so the nerves are close to the skin and the pressure's high, and we all understand uh, the ramifications of wins and losses at this type at this time of year. But I don't know that I've seen one single night with as many really excellent and interesting and high-level um, played games than we saw last night. That was outstanding. And even in the games that were blowouts, you had great stories and great performances. Case in point, the Ottawa Senators and the Florida Panthers. Now, the Ottawa Senators lose 7-2 to the Florida Panthers. Florida Panthers, and we'll find out here in a second, with you know, along with the Pittsburgh Penguins, New York Islanders, and Buffalo Sabres, all hold serve. Nobody moves their position in the hunt for those last two wildcard spots. Um, but in this game last night, the Florida Panthers only threw 30 pucks at the Ottawa Senators. Only 30 pucks hit the net. The Ottawa Senators, meanwhile threw 58 shots on goal last night on Alex Lyon, who has become one of the biggest stories around the NHL. Yes, that Alex Lyon. Yes, that guy that everybody looked at and said, eh, career minor leaguer. That guy is saving the Florida Panthers season right now. That guy is maybe the lone reason, with all due respect, Matthew Kachuk, that the Florida Panthers find themselves tucked into a playoff spot at this point. That was the Alex Lyon show. And it was also fight night as well. And if you watched it or if you've seen all the highlights, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Even had, you know, Alex DeBrinkett. Now, mind you, he did get hit earlier. Um, Alex DeBrinkett trying to go at Matthew Kachuk towards the end of the game. When's the last time you saw Alex DeBrinkett so fired up that he challenged someone to a fight? I'll wait. Oh, yeah, we haven't. It was that kind of night for a lot of teams. And, you know, speaking of fights last night, there were nine. When's the last time you had or saw in the NHL nine fights in a night? We'll go over them in a couple of seconds here. But when was the last time you saw that much violence, uh, that much animosity, that much hatred? Now, I know there was like, what, four of them in the one game, so that eats up a whole chunk. But there were, you know, some pretty decent dust-ups, you know, whether it was uh, Boston-Toronto, whether it was Montreal-Washington, uh, whether it was Arizona and Seattle. So interesting sidebars to all of this. Um, interesting as well, Cam Talbot scratched in that game. 
ooh, there's a message, uh, and the Ottawa Senators are now officially eliminated. We'll talk to Gord Stellick uh, about all of this here in a couple of moments. Also, the Islanders hold serve in a spectacular way, and uh, we're all waiting to find out, you know, some injury updates for some key players uh, for the Tampa Bay Lightning. The Islanders went 6-1, to one, like just whip the Tampa Bay Lightning yesterday. Uh, Brock Nelson with three points going into it. No Anthony Sorelli, um, no Brandon Hagel. Uh, new Eric Chernak, Tanner Janot gets tied up with Scott Mayfield in stop saying it was deliberate, an accident along the boards with Scott Mayfield. Uh, Patrick Maroon accidentally gets kicked uh, by Bo Horvat. Through all of it, though, Steven Stamkos registers game number 1,000, so there's only two members now of the 1,000 club uh, with the Tampa Bay Lightning, the other being Vincent LeCavalier. Uh, the Pittsburgh Penguins, they hold serve as well. They beat the Minnesota Wild 4-1. to Minnesota now have lost three games in a row and are plummeting a little bit now um, in the Central and the West. More on that in a couple of moments. Latang, Raquel, Zucker, and Carter with your goals. But maybe the big story coming out of it is another good performance by Tristan Jari. Uh, 27 saves for the oft-injured netminder. And again, I'll say the same thing that I've been saying for a while now. If the Pittsburgh Penguins can get goaltending, if Tristan Jari can stay healthy. I'll talk to Josh Getzoff about this later on on the show, play-by-play voice of the Pittsburgh Penguins. If they can get goaltending, don't be surprised if this team goes on a run. A lot of the good work that this team has tried to do in the playoffs the last couple of seasons has been completely undone, one, because of injury, but two, and it's a bigger two than one, bad performances by the goaltender. If they can get goaltending, that's a big if. The word if is doing a lot of work in that sentence. If they can get goaltending, the Penguins have the potential to go on a run. Buffalo-Detroit was a wild one as well, and we saw that um, Devin Levi is indeed human. Uh, 7-6 in a shootout. Alex Tuck with the uh, shootout winner. Dylan Cousins with two goals and an assist. Owen Power with three assists. Also, one thing that I want to mention here, we got a lot to get to, and we're going to get to Seattle. Congratulations, they qualify for the postseason. The Nashville Predators beat the Carolina Hurricanes 3-0. Now, I don't think it's a it's a tall, steep hill for the Nashville Predators to climb here. This is going to be a real, real tough sled, and they've got games. Well, they got a game tomorrow against the Winnipeg Jets. That is an absolutely huge one. And then Calgary, and they finish off against Minnesota and Colorado. UC Soros with the shutout in this one. And I want to pause here, and we'll get to Gord Stalick after the after I make this one point. Well, it's not actually even my point. It's someone else's, and I want to share it with you. Um, So if you've listened to this program long enough, you've heard me talk about UC Soros. And UC Soros uh, is once again going to be a contender for uh, for the Vesna Trophy this year. He's just had another one of these spectacular seasons. Um, CJ Tortoro is a uh, hockey analytics researcher. He uh, is a blogger. Uh, for the New Jersey Devils. Uh, he's a high school math teacher. He follows these things, folks, in a really, really interesting tweet. And this sort of stopped me in my tracks. I know he's good, but is he this good? The numbers say so. The performances say so. So Tortoro tweets out, no one has goals saved above expected in the last decade no one has more goals saved above expected in the last decade than UC Soros. He's on a legit Hall of Fame trajectory, and no one talks about it. One of the most consistently efficient goalies ever. This is his seventh season 
of being 5% better than NHL average 20-plus games played. That's tied for the most ever for his age, tied with Patrick Waugh. That's the type of not just season that UC Saros is having, but type of career that UC Saros is having. I know they have statues for people like Pecorine outside of arenas and retired numbers. UC Saros, very quietly, maybe because he's not a huge net miner, I don't know. UC Saros turning in another great campaign for the Nashville Predators. We got lots to get to. Ottawa's eliminated. Seattle's officially in. It was fight night all over the NHL last uh, last night. And tonight we have zero games. But everybody's playing tomorrow. With that, we'll kick off the program. This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. You know, a whole lot of stuff coming out today as well. Uh, Luke Hughes, uh, Elliot Friedman reports, will join the New Jersey Devils this weekend. So that'll add a different element to that back end. Also, we're, uh, we're awaiting Shane Wright to go to Coachella Valley. Now, if you know anything about Shane Wright, he doesn't want to be, and the Windsor Spitfires got swept officially yesterday by the Kitchener Rangers in the OHL. First time an eight swept a one. In the, uh, in the history of OHL playoffs. I don't think that, if you know anything about Shane Wright, you know he's not going to be the guy that's the first guy out of Windsor. Like, oh, the team's lost. I'm out of here. I'm going to the American Hockey League. If you know anything about Shane Wright, he's going to hang around a few days. Um, try to be maybe not the last guy out of Windsor, but one of the last guys out of Windsor. And then head to Coachella Valley, we expect, uh, where Dan Bilesma has a really good thing going there. And that team is probably good enough to win a Calder Cup championship of the American Hockey League. Gord Stalick joins me now on the uh, on the program. Dr. G, how are you today? Outstanding, Jeff. Well, here's the question I asked off the top. You watch games every night. You watch from the beginning, the opening bell, to the bitter end. Uh, and I know because I listen to your show every morning. Was that the best night of hockey collectively that we've seen all season long? From the skill to the intrigue to the violence to the outcomes uh, to the history being made with the Seattle Kraken to teams getting eliminated. Was that the best night of hockey that we've seen all season, Gord Stalick? Well, you know, it's funny, Jeff, because initially you always hesitate to label it that. But I think given we're down to the short strokes now. So before, you know, you were talking about, you know, playoffs, but let's say it's the 40 game mark. That's very different when you got three games left in the intrigue and the fact that, you know, that was a big part of last night, how they're getting closer and closer. And, you know, it's funny. I mean, like, like, like the Nashville game, for example, you're talking about UC Saros. I heard you talk. But, you know, you got – so you've got yep. Pasternak maybe getting 60 goals. You got, you got Randon gets 50. You got Hughes and Meyer are in the 40s. And Nashville gets – Jankowski gets a sixth. Fabro gets a second. And somebody else gets a second. You know what I mean? And so it's not just – so it's, you know, what they're doing, being a seller and all these great players out of the lineup as well. So I, I, you know, like, like it had everything. The Boston Toronto game was, uh, was kind of like New York and Tampa Bay the previous night, like a good, you know, semi playoff test about two teams that could face each other, but are going to be there. And uh, yeah. I know there were a lot of blowouts, but there was a lot of physicality uh, and uh, I, a lot of great goaltending and a lot of great skill. So I, I would, I would go along with that assessment, Jeff. 
Yeah, when was the last time we had nine fights in a night? Now, I know the Lions share were in one game, the Florida Panthers and the Ottawa Senators, but, I mean, it's, you know, Wilson and Pizzetta. It was uh, McEwen and Haig, uh, O'Brien and Will Borgen. Like, it was all over. Now, Lafferty, you know, too. Lee Boston game, right? Lafferty and A.J. Greer go at it as well after they hit on Grizzlick in the corner. You're right. Um, like I can't remember the last time there were so many fights because it really has become kind of a, a, a freak. Like if you get like two fights in a night, people go crazy over at hockeyfights.com, but like nine fights, um, in one night, again, a lot of them was Florida, were Florida and Ottawa, but still like we're getting into it now. Like we just, you know, saw a couple of nights ago with the Rangers, um, like we're getting towards the playoffs and everything now is sort of taking on a Stanley Cup playoff first round type atmosphere as as teams get ready for it. And, I mean, what it is, Gord, is it's shaping up that the first round, once again, is going to be a crazy, you know, ride a hel- ride a, a motorcycle out of the helicopter kind of first round. Yeah, and, you know, we always think about Vinny LeCavalier and Jerome McGinley in the playoffs, right? And, and it's like uh, you uh, – and the thing now, Jeff, is – like, there's no longer really the designated fighter. Like, you know, we're getting, I mean, the Kachuks no. are guys that like to fight but happen to be outstanding players. You know, you're getting more of, like, uh, I mean, I, I know I, I know it's a lot of years ago, but Daryl Sittler was a really tough guy. I mean, Daryl Sittler was the least best yep. player. But, I mean, he was a real, real tough guy, and you had a lot of that. So, I like that because it's, they're more organic than, you know, when teams seem to have a designated, and unfortunately, too many of those um, their lives, you know, and I think that's probably part of it where you don't have it anymore. Culture wise, you know, it just took uh, unfortunate turns when it's all said and done, but first round of the playoffs, especially hockey fans like us, like I like all sports, but there's nothing better. There's nothing better than the first round of the playoffs. Uh, there's more prone to upsets and say the NBA who have kind of more, well, they changed it a bit, but more of a similar playoff setup. They don't get that in the first round. And, um, you know, all these great seasons Tampa Bay showed a few years ago that just, and even leading Columbus in the game number one, all of a sudden things turn. And, you know, you're referencing in the OHL about our buddy Mark Savard and Kitchener upsetting Windsor. Like, any mm. anything can happen, particularly in that first round. Absolutely true. Let's get um, let's get to to drill down on a couple of these games. And you mentioned Toronto and uh, and the Boston Bruins, and you know you mentioned that scrap between Greer and, and Sam Lafferty after the after the Grizzly hit. Um, one of the interesting things here was uh, how Sheldon Keefe used the returning Ryan O'Reilly. Uh, how do you think this is going to work come playoff time for the Maple Leafs? I mean, up the gut, listen, you've got Matthews and John Tavares. Um, do you see them continuing to use Ryan O'Reilly in a third center capacity, bump him up on the wing, or does it just, you think, change situationally? I, I think, uh, well, you always change situationally if, if, if the situation exists and you want to do it. But I, I thought when O'Reilly got hurt that game against Vancouver, that was kind of a template night, I thought, uh, of what he intended to do. And then, unfortunately, O'Reilly got injured that game. That, you know, the first, what he, that first game, I remember watching the warm-ups and going, I wonder what they're going to do. And they go, is that John Tavares taking line rushes on the wing, right? And you go, wow. And then, but I, I think mm-hmm. I, I think John Tavares was probably told it wasn't in the big picture. I think you want to get the depth. You want to get the three lines going. You want, to, you, know, you want strength up the middle. So you're going to use the three centers. And then, of course, if you say cut back to two lines or what have you, you have the flexibility to put, uh, put Ryan, O'Reilly, uh, Ryan O'Reilly in that top six if you want to kind of do it. And unfortunately they've done that too much in the playoffs and it hasn't worked out, you know, when they're, when they're struggling to try to try to 
close out the series. But I, I, I thought last night was really more of a template that I can see of the forwards, especially that I can see Sheldon Keefe doing in the playoffs. You know, um, uh, an unfortunate incident yesterday with Charlie McAvoy and Patrice Bergeron. We all hold our breaths, you know, uh, at that moment. It doesn't sound like it, it is as bad as uh, it looked at the time. One of those, you know, looking the wrong way collisions between Bergeron and Charlie McAvoy. But is there anything other than, like, is there anything you take away from that game from the Boston Bruins' point of view? Or are all the answers about the Bruins still waiting in the postseason? Like, is there anything that we can pull out of a regular season game at this point about the Bruins? Or we just know they're awesome. Montgomery's the leader for the for the Jack Adams. Bergeron's probably going to win a Selkie again. McAvoy will be in the conversation as well. Hampus Lindholm for the Norris Trophy. Like, are there any... Linus Allmark for the... the uh, um, for the Vesna Trophy, are there any questions left unanswered in regular season Boston land? Uh, Jack Edwards will be over the top in his broadcast. Yeah, so there's a consistency uh, <laughs> about all that which you love about Boston, <laughs> Jeff. There, you know, there's zero questions. I mean, this is a team that started the season as you've discussed many times yeah. without Mark Shan, without Charlie McAvoy, and just uh, you know, Jack Hughes yeah. has used that term heater, which New Jersey really picked up very early this season. But really, that's been that's been what Boston's done all season long. And it does not mean they can't be upset in the first round of the playoffs. And, you know, one team maybe the most intriguing to me would be the New York Islanders about that kind of playoff style. And you get that kind of goaltending from Ilya Sorokin. But uh, it, what a, you know, I don't know how to compare it to Tampa season a few years ago to Detroit all those years ago. I don't, you know, but it's just, man, they've checked all the boxes, including a trade deadline as well. I mean, to lose two, you have two Karras go off in the sunset. And your goaltending, one by developing from within and one by adding Allmark, you know, not miss a beat or even be upgraded more than, than Rask was at the end of his career. Pretty phenomenal. And yeah. I, I thought it was a good road point for the Maple Leafs as well, Jeff, last night. So, uh, I, I like mm-hmm. a lot of teams, everyone's just waiting for game number 83 now. And, again, it could all come crashing down yep. if you get eliminated in the first round. That's, and that's not without the realm of possibility. But I don't think there was any statement last night. I just think another – you find different ways to win. You win 8-2 or you win that game 2-1. And same with the Maple Leafs. I thought it was a good road point. You, know, you mentioned Jack Hughes and uh, his referencing uh, on, a, on a heater a couple of seconds ago. And, listen, Jack Hughes got to be an excited guy. His brother's coming uh, to New Jersey. Um, Michigan bows out yesterday to Quinnipiac. Uh, so it's Quinnipiac and Minnesota in the, uh, in the, in the college final. Um, we'll see what happens with Lane Hudson with uh, with BU. I th- I personally think he probably stays, but they'll they'll probably go through the process and and see what happens here. But back to Jack Hughes, he's got he's got three games scored to get five points and become the first New Jersey Devil player ever to record a hundred points. Whenever I mention that to people. They're kind of stunned. Like the New Jersey Devils have never had a 100-point performer. No, they haven't. And Jack Hughes has three games, Boston, Buffalo, and Washington, to hit that mark. Do you have a thought on, well, maybe the Hughes family. Like, congratulations to Jim and Ellen. Um, three boys into the NHL, Quinn Hughes, Jack Hughes, and now Luke Hughes on the horizon for the, uh, for the New Jersey Devils. Do you have a thought on either the, the Hughes family or the New Jersey Devils themselves? Yeah, i got to touch on the Hughes family. But first, you know, to he's a microcosm right now of a bigger thing in that Jeff, there's been times that there's been a debate. How do we get more scoring in hockey? You know, how do, how can we do it? And all of a sudden you've got, he's one point away from the devil's all time record. You got Randon gets 50 goals. The first guy since Hey Duke did it decades ago. 
You got Eric Carlson on the verge of being the first uh, defenseman to get 100 points since Brian Leach did decades yeah. ago. You know, on and on. You got David Pasternak maybe hitting 60 goals. Like, like all this offense in the game, which has been phenomenal. I think a lot of it is skill-based related. A lot of it's about strong power plays as well. But I, I'm loving the influx in scoring. And it's just, you know, as you know, uh, Jim Hughes was part of the Maple Leafs developmental process. So he spent some years in Toronto. And it, it was something his grandfather was involved in North Toronto baseball. I remember, you know, connecting with him and he was talking about oh, yeah. his grandkids, which, uh, which uh, he certainly... Uh, uh, well, he was just a proud grandfather, and boy, he, he wasn't wrong in what he was talking about. It, it's a funny one about <laughs> these, these kind of lineages, you know, the Stahl family, you know, and, and, and you know, what goes on, and just uh, all of a sudden, like, the, I mean, the Sutters, you know, and, and now in, in, in the Hughes case, and particularly to get picked so high, well, the Subens uh, as well, and, and uh, man, it's just, uh, uh, but I, you know, I, I love as a number one overall pick, and he was 18, and it just showed he really wasn't ready. There was way too much hype. Like, you remember he got drafted, and then they had you know, the, the yep. players all go for a mini developmental camp the week after, and, like, the practice rink was sold out to watch him play. And, you know, that's the part that too much is expected too soon. I love to see the way they, they all assimilate, you know, in the game and how you grow. And that's something the Rangers with Lafreniere and Kako have kind of – it really hasn't, hasn't hit the stride the same way Jack Hughes did. But I uh, – I love the excitement. He, even though he does now, he's kind of annoyed by his reaction when his brother got drafted by the Devils when uh, John Morosi was interviewing them <laughs> and that. And uh, I, but I, I think you know, you go back to Wayne Gretzky, and I just you can read on people their love for the game, right? Their love for the game. I mean, this yeah. family. Never mind that they're excellent at it. These guys flat out just love playing hockey, going hard, kicking ass, and having a good time, like the Kachucks. Yeah, they really do. Oh, speaking of the Kachucks, I was going to ask you this one. I, I used to think that it was Matthew, and now I'm maybe edging more towards Brady. I was just talking to Lance Kennedy, uh, um, our technical operator here before the show, about this one. There were a lot of fights in that Florida-Ottawa game yesterday, and Brady Kachuk got in a fight, and Matthew Kachuk got in a fight. Not that I ever think that it would happen, but if it did... Who do you think would win a fight, Matthew or Brady? I used to think Matthew. Eh, now I'm warming to Brady. Now I'm really warming to Brady. I think uh, I think Keith would still accord himself really well, even though he's uh, on the seniors <laughs> division. And that I, by the way, um, the Ottawa fans certainly won about Brady's better. That was pretty pathetic about the eight people in Florida that tried to get Matthews better. Jeez, those guys not up I on know. it. Oh man. So I something about you know what. Brady has more that look like more of a bleep disturber than Matthew. I even remember that yep. when Stutzla and him kind of came over to stretch when Ottawa was playing Calgary once and, and Matthew got annoyed and just moved, you know, they just annoyed him in the pregame warm up and that. So um, I'll, yep. hey, it'll, it'll go the distance. And I say the judges will vote Brady. <laughs> It's a very diplomatic answer. It goes to the scorecards. We leave it in the judges' hands. Um, I didn't say it's a draw, Seattle Kraken though. qualify for the playoffs. What's that? No, no, no. That's fair. That's fair. Yeah. Um, Seattle Kraken, Dave Haxtell squad. We've talked a lot about you know the the composition of this team. I'm I'm fascinated with the squad and and year to year how how different they look and um, how different they've performed. Um, nobody makes six million dollars on this team. That may change with Matty Benier's next contract. Um, nobody is a point per game player. Sure, Jared McCann is having a fantastic season. Vince Dunn is having a fantastic season. Daniel Sprong is a you know fourth line twenty goal scorer. Tolvanen was a great pickup. Um, this is a team where everything just seems to fit, 
and uh, Dave Haxtall has, you know, turned turned the story around about him and turned the story around about the Seattle Kraken inside of one calendar year. Do you have a thought on, now that they've qualified for the playoffs, what we've seen from Seattle? Boy, Jared McCann, first year of a five-year deal at $5 million per season as well. So, I mean, oh. I, you know, it, you normally think a team like that, you go, okay, well, they added these four guys, and, and you go, no, they really didn't do anything. Uh, I mean, Matty Beneers, obviously, but he's, he's, he's not – he didn't yeah. take the league like by storm, like say, Connor McDavid or Austin Matthews did. You know, he's had a he could win Rookie of the Year. He's had a great season. Uh, it's a funny one because I'm a big fan of Steve Briere, their goaltending coach. He used to be the goaltending coach of the Leafs, and and he'll just like I think the goaltending. It's almost symbolic that he'll he'll argue that these stats do not indicate how good the goaltender is. You know, I mean that's kind of the team they've had this year. That they'll say, you know. It, 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 you know, the, these stats, there, there's other things that you don't see. Seven-game road trip. I've never been on a seven-game road trip when I work for a team or broadcast with a team. <laughs> I've never been on them more than a five-game road trip, so they don't happen very often. Yeah. But they won all seven games. That should have been their death knell there. Yeah. So it's just all those particular things they, they saw, you know, okay, last year certain things didn't work out well, but they understood there were a lot of positives that they could build on and just some you know, little things about coming together, and all of a sudden it got contagious. Like the New Jersey Devils made a few more additions, but it's almost similar to that, that all of a sudden if you start turning a bit of a corner and it gets contagious, then all of a sudden you go, holy crap, we've Mm -hmm. really turned this corner. It wasn't a blip. You know, the, the, one of the other things with, uh, and this is a, this is a nod not just to the players, but also the uh, the entire coaching staff. So it's you know uh, Dave Haxtall, it's Paul McFarland, etc. Um, you look at their record after two periods of play: thirty-three, one and three when leading after the second period. Like this is a team that could lock it down. The other thing uh, that I'm endlessly impressed by, and listen, Pete DeBoer does this. He's always done this, going back to when he was with. Uh, the Florida Panthers, even previous to that, when he was coaching the Kitchener Rangers, uh, and we think of Jim Montgomery as well with the with the Boston Bruins, and that is, you look at the forward unit for the Seattle Kraken. No one's over twenty. Heck, no one's over nineteen minutes a game, but no one's in the single digits either. There's not like, oh, the fourth line is getting like, you know, five, six minutes a night or six or seven minutes a night. That's it. Like, it's all in like 11, 12, at times 13 minutes a night for the fourth line. And, you know, the top dogs, you know, if you're lucky, you're getting 18 and a half per game. But generally, there's a whole lot of, you know, 1530s and 1625s. Like, the, as, as far as managing your, your roster, Dave Haxtell's kind of done a real good job here making sure that the ice time is spread out, uh, no one's sitting too long, and no one has their tongue hanging out after three periods. Yeah, and quite often in the playoffs, that, that's a great recipe about having that kind of consistency that the, the lines play at a, at a certain high level that when one line goes off, next comes on. It's not like they diminish that much compared to a team that has... Uh, you know, one one line playing 25 minutes, and then and the other, to your point, playing about 14. I mean, that's that that's been part of it. That's been part of it. You don't you know you don't talk about oh Alexander Ovechkin's coming to town with no you know, like the play. No, you know Austin Matthews coming to town, Mitch Marner coming to town. Like nobody jumps out uh, out at you in that respect. I mean, they had a strong power play for a big chunk of the season. They had great plus minus stats. You know, just. And they found a lot of different ways to win. You know, they got eight goals in a game once, and they won, you know, they won tighter games and on and on and on. So there just was a lot of growth together. But you're right, as a a 20-man unit, 
there's just a there's a, a continuity continuity and a consistency uh, both with the defense and forwards. That's true. Uh, let, let me close on this one. Um, we talk about Seattle getting in. Uh, the season ends uh, for the Ottawa Senators last night. Um, we went into the season with high expectations. Um, Pierre Dorian had a really busy offseason. Um, the Debrinket deal, uh, the Talbot deal, getting Claude Giroux. Like, there was a lot of optimism. And to say nothing of, you know, everyone was ready for Tim Stutzla to take that next step. And he did. Uh, Brady Kachuk to take that next step. And he did. Uh, we all had our fingers crossed for a healthy full season for, for Josh Norris. And that didn't, uh, that didn't work out. But do you have a sense of... Or do you have an idea of where the Ottawa Senators are at now? And listen, I thought that scratching Talbot last night was a huge statement. And I wonder about their their net mining going into into next season. Will it be Sogard and Forsberg? Uh, And if so, is that good enough to get them over that next hump? Do you have a a thought on what we just saw this season from the uh, the Ottawa Senators? Well, it's funny. All three teams, Buffalo, Ottawa, Detroit, all had like a day at least in the playoffs. And then they couldn't, and, and, and Florida did that till recently. They had a day, and then they, you fall out the next time. You know, um, they, Ottawa ended Detroit's run with those two consecutive wins in Ottawa. Then that loss to Chicago for Ottawa just seemed to be the one they could never, never recover from. And, you know, you look at, and even throw a guy like Formanton in, who's, uh, there's other reasons why he's not there. But, I mean, he had, what, 19 goals, I think, last year, or whatever it may be. So, you know, there were some guys that they missed. I, I think it was, I mean, they really were close if they just didn't fall apart after that Chicago game and the Western Canadian trip. They really are not that far out of it. I mean, it's a team I've, I've really enjoyed watching. Uh, you know, I thought I, I thought that last Chickering trade was just great. Uh, you know, obviously, see what get you know Giroux getting what thirty goals coming back. We'll see if Debrinket stays or not. So I I I think they're definitely on the right track, and you you know, and you hope to get healthy and keep that young core. But Jeff, to the last point, you got to upgrade your goaltending. Gotta gotta gotta. That's what mm-hmm. it's got to be. You know, maybe not Shesterkin or Vasilevsky. You know, but but something. It just has to be better to give you the chance to win more games. And Doria did make a mistake that, you know, at the trade deadline, um, one goaltender's hurt, the other one gets hurt right after, and you're putting completely inexperienced guys in. That, you know, maybe there was a a body out there that you, with a little more NHL experience that you could have, you could have picked up. So uh, that, that's the one part. Yeah. Whether, you know, obviously they're saying Cam Talbot's not the guy and, and uh, you know, he was the guy from Minnesota a couple of years ago. It's funny. There's these up and down years for guys like, Guys like him, but it, it's got it's got to get better. You know that that that's the one thing they got yeah, to address. The the weird thing about all of it is though, sometimes the goaltenders just sort of come out of nowhere and they emerge. Like who knew that Alex Lyon was going to do yeah. this? Who knew that you know Phoenix Copley was going to essentially? Well, I'll just be blunt. Who knew that Phoenix Copley was going to essentially save the Los Angeles Kings season? But he did. Like it, yeah. sometimes it's not that really obvious. We're bringing in this goaltender. Hey, we're dragging Braden Holtby out of retirement and blah blah blah. Like sometimes it's not those moves, but goaltenders just emerge, and we look at it and we say, you know, paying Sergei Bobrovsky ten million dollars a year, but Alex Lyon, who we always talked about as a career American Hockey Leaguer, is a guy that's saving the Florida Panthers season. Um, Gord, listen, have a great weekend. Uh, enjoy yourself. I don't know if you're curling this weekend uh, or you're playing <laughs> tennis this weekend or what you're up to. I, I know you're a busy guy, but uh, be well, and we'll catch up soon. Well, yeah, I'll keep you. I'll keep you posted on the mixed curling playoffs and the men's curling playoffs. So it's winding <laughs> down. So there's playoff fever everywhere in the Stellick household. Absolutely, and we love it. Uh, Thanks as always, Dr. G. You're the best. Okay, see you, buddy.
Gordon Stalick uh, from Leafs Nation pre and post, former Maple Leafs general manager and one half um, of the Sirius XM NHL Network um, morning show, along with her good friend of the program here, Scott Lachlan. Uh, we will hit a break coming up top of hour two. Josh gets off Pittsburgh Penguins radio voice. That's kind of a mini tour around there with Gordon around the NHL and sort of we try to kick off the show every day with Elliot Friedman doing that tour of the NHL and then we start to drill down. That's sort of the the focus um, of this uh, program. So we're going to get on the Avalanche page. Who surprise, surprise, the music is starting to wind down and they're first place in the Central. Even all the hand wringing all season long about what's wrong with the avalanche, the injuries catching up, et cetera, et cetera. We're getting down to the short strokes here, and the avalanche are in first. No surprise to many, and probably no surprise to Peter Baugh, Colorado Avalanche writer for The Athletic, joins me in a couple of moments. I mentioned Getzoff coming up top of hour two, Pittsburgh Penguins radio voice. That was. Um, that was impressive. Like that was a really impressive game yesterday by the Pittsburgh Penguins. Um, the Minnesota Wild. I know you know two game losing streak, and now they've lost three, and they're tumbling a little bit here in the Central. Uh, but the Minnesota Wild are anything but an easy out. Um, and once again, Jason Zucker with big goals yesterday again, and Tristan Jari big saves. Also, Jonathan Davis uh, from NHL Network Radio joins us in uh, in hour two as well. So plenty of show to get to. I uh, hope you're enjoying yourself uh, on this lovely day. We'll catch up with Peter Bob and Josh Getzoff, Jonathan Davis, as the Merrick Show continues across the Sportsnet Radio Network, simulcast on Sportsnet 360 and Sportsnet Now. Keep it here. The best Blue Jays show out there, period. Blair and Barker. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Welcome back to the program here Monday to Friday starting at noon Eastern, 9 Pacific. Glad to have you aboard today. Coming up in hour two, Josh Getzoff, play-by-play voice of the Pittsburgh Penguins. Scrapping to try to get back in. Right now, the final two wildcard spots occupied by the Florida Panthers and the New York Islanders. And I can hear all the Buffalo Sabres fans in the background saying, Don't forget about us! Fun win last night. Took a shootout, 7-6. But the math is hard. The math is tough. The road... The road is rocky. And speaking of rocky, uh, let's get to the Rockies and talk about the Colorado Avalanche with Peter Baugh. He's the uh, writer for The Athletic covering the Colorado Avalanche and no stranger to this program. Uh, Peter, how are you today, pal? I'm better after that that transition. That was smooth. Nah, it sucked. Uh, You know what? I was was kind of... I was, I'm so insincere, so I was kind of halfway through making. I'm just sort of freestyling, blah blah blah, with the Sabers, and I'm like, okay, Rocky, Rockies, and I kind of got halfway through it. And you can probably hear in my voice, Peter. I'm like, this is a lame transition, and I just sort of trended downwards and almost turned into a whisper <laughs> by the end because I was so embarrassed. I was so embarrassed to say it, but I already committed to the sentence, so I said, all right, just finish it, dummy, and get to Peter Baugh, who's going to make more sense than I am. Um, so the Avalanche find themselves in first, to the surprise of. No one. Um, how do you look at this season so far for Colorado? Now, it's been peppered with injuries, certainly, to, to key players. Uh, but there's also been some tremendous performances, um, a coach extension, uh, a lot of questions about players like Gabriel Landeskog, for example. How do you look at this season so far, Peter? Yeah, I think it's a season of, of individual success stories mixed with some 
some team adversity, especially on the injury front. And it's ultimately looking like it's going to be one that uh, ends with a good regular season. And we'll see, obviously, a kind of a season story is kind of dictated by the playoffs. But I think if if you look at the year Mika Rantanen and Nathan McKinnon have had both reaching personal milestones for the first time, um, reaching milestones Avalanche players haven't had in a long time. I think Joe Sackett was the last player to hit 100 points um, in a season before McKinnon did um, the other day. And mm. Milan Hayduk was the last guy to get to 50 goals before Rantanen did last night. So there's a lot of, um, I think, individual success stories that, that people will remember this season for. And then, yeah, a lot of injuries. You can't tell the story of this team without the injuries they've experienced this year to guys like Landeskog, uh, Cal McCarr, McKinnon missed time, Josh Manson, Arturi Lackin, and you can kind of go down the, the lineup and most guys have missed extended time at some point or another. Yeah, who do you uh, – oh, by the way, are there any – like, what I'm curious, like, what the latest is on everybody? Do you have a, an update on, on the walking wounded with the Avalanche? Yeah, so uh, Kale McCarr and Darren Helm, there's no timeline there, but that doesn't necessarily – I think when – when Jared Bednar says that, it sometimes freaks people out because it's like, oh, no timeline. But sometimes it just means that he he doesn't yeah. know what the timeline is. So I, I don't know for sure on, on Makar anything. My sense is it's not anything crazy serious, but obviously we'll we'll see him in the next couple of days. And then uh, Pablo Francois is, is getting closer and closer to game action. All the other injured players are skating. You've got Arturi Lekkinen, who he's still – um, he looks great skating. He's, he's recovering from a broken finger. So presumably as soon as he hits that timeline, he'll be ready to, to hop back in the lineup. Landis Skaggs continued skating. He's, he's looking better slowly and slowly. Obviously that recovery's taken longer than I think everyone was anticipating, including, including Landis Skog, the team fans, like it's just been a more difficult process than expected. And then Manson is, is also mm. skating. So We'll see if they'll ever have a fully healthy roster. I think the big question is obviously Landeskog. It seems like everyone else should be ready by, by playoffs. Maybe not Manson, or and, and I don't know much about the new helm injury, but um, the the big question, I guess, for the last few weeks is if, if Landeskog can get to a point where he's able to play in the next next little stretch. You know, g- given the um, the mash unit that has been the uh, the Avalanche, and I know you know people from Columbus are saying, "Really, you're going to talk about the the Avalanche and, and their injury woes?" Look at us, but still, like it's sizable. You know, and Landis Cog is the entire season, as as you and I have talked about plenty of times. What does this say about Jared Bednar? Um, and you know, uh, what's what's the old saying? Uh, Calm waters. Uh, make poor captains or calm waters make, I can't remember what the, 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 the cliche is, but it's oh, uh, calm waters make poor sailors. That's it. Um, this has been anything but calm waters for the Colorado Avalanche. What does this say about um, the sailor, Jared Bednar, through all of this? Yeah, I mean, I think you, and you saw this obviously last year, it was a lot more, it was a lot smoother, but you, there were points where the team was banged up with injuries. And I think it, it's impressive how, even when guys are out, they're able to plug in other players without seemingly losing too much system-wise. Obviously, sometimes you're going to lose some explosiveness or playmaking ability, but they still play a pretty sound game most nights. Um, and I think that that you can attribute to coaching. So he's, he's done a really, really nice job in that regard. Um, the fact that they're sitting in first place, considering where they were 
I think in mid-January, early January, after a loss to Chicago, they were sitting out of the playoff picture, and they've kind of really pulled it together and taken advantage of the easier schedule in front of them. And I, I think that's a credit to Bednar and his staff. And, um, I mean, I think you look at goaltending, mm. too, and that's that's more UC Parkle, the goalie coach. But um, the fact that the Avs have had three consecutive seasons with goalies having either career years or close to career years speaks to both the goalie develop or the goalie coach UC Parkla, how he works with those goalies and also to the systems Jared Bednar has in place that lead to goalies having easy lives. You look at teams like, like Carolina, it feels like they always have good goaltending and oftentimes they do, but a lot of times yep. it's because they just have a great system in front of them. Uh, they really do. And uh, Peter Kachetkov is uh, going to be the beneficiary of that um, earlier uh, or earlier than later. Um, so what do these remaining five games now mean for the Avalanche? And, and what does winning the division mean for them, um, if anything? I, I know what that means for, you know, their opponent in the first round. But I'm always curious, you know, down the stretch here, what are the targets? What are the goals? Uh, how much does first place matter uh, to a team like the Avalanche? What do you think about that? I do think that in, in a division like the Central, winning it does matter because you would prefer – there's three teams that are within two points of each other with Minnesota, Dallas, and Colorado, and you would prefer not to play one of those teams in the first round because those are three really good teams, although Minnesota will see kind of how they look and how long Eric Sinek is out. That's a tough blow, but they're getting Kaprizov back and um, have a really, really strong team. So, so – I think there's incentive to try and get the, the number one seed in the division. And then you're playing a Seattle team. That's obviously a really solid team. Great story this year, but probably a, a more preferable opponent than Minnesota than Dallas. And, uh, and so I think there is some incentive coming down the stretch here. I think that are sitting in solid positioning with a game in hand. And I, I think tied with Dallas in terms of points, they have let some opportunities slip away to, to rack up regulation wins, which are the first tiebreaker where they, the other night they blew a lead to San Jose, ended up winning in overtime, but that's, that's a regulation win that they kind of let slip through their fingers. And they had a, a similar win against Arizona where they let it get to, to shoot out. And um, that's a, a regulation win that, that slipped away from them. So I think there's, there's big incentive these next five games, and it's not an easy five games for the avalanche. I mean, they're going to have, um, LA, who's a good team, they're going to have an Edmonton team that Edmonton team that's trying to catch Vegas for the number one seed in their division, uh, and they're going to have Winnipeg, mm-hmm. who's who's fighting for their life. So, so not easy games coming up. Um, when I look at this Avalanche team, it's hard not to get um, you know blown away by some great individual performances. And top of that list, you know Nathan McKinnon. Um, clearly, and and also Mika Rant, Mika Rantanen, who have been fantastic, and oh yeah, there's that Kale McCarr guy who's always in the conversation for the Norris Trophy, and Devon Taves, and like it's it's kind of a murderer's row of, of superstars, but very quietly, um, you know, I think someone's turned in a really great season. And I hope that here, you know, down the stretch as we transition to the playoffs and, you know, maybe around the Selkie Trophy, we'll start talking about them. JT Comfer has been really good this year. Like, you know, sure this, you cover the team on a consistent basis. For those that may not have, you know, followed the Avalanche as, as closely as, as you do or other people that watch the Avs, uh, if they're in the East and, and not staying up late to, to watch Colorado, um, do you have a couple of words on JT Comfer? Because really quietly here, this has been an excellent season for him. 
Yeah, I mean, he's quite simply just a he's just a good, solid hockey player. He's not going to wow you with his skill, but he has some skill, and he's a he's solid on the offensive side of things, and has really put together the the best offensive season of his career. I think he's up to to fifty points. Um, the second line center situation was a big question mark for Colorado entering the year with Melvin Kadri going to Calgary, and um, obviously. Comfer's numbers aren't as prolific as as Kadri's were last year when he I think had he's averaged over a point per game and all that, but he's he's been very similar to what Kadri was his first two years in Denver, which was a, a really good uh, two way center who can contribute offensively and play a solid defensive game. And then uh, you mentioned the Selkie Trophy, and I think uh, Shane Goldman for the Athletic did a really nice piece on uh, kind of some of the contenders and what the award means. And and Comfer's right up there metrics wise in terms of his defense with with some mm-hmm. of the best best guys in the league. So I, I think it's it's entirely possible he gets some some down ballot votes for that award, especially considering the minutes he's playing, the fact that he's playing in all situations. Um, and even if the Selkie is technically for the best defensive forward, um, offense does help, and he's put together a solid offensive season. 50 points. Like, that's nothing to – that's another 17 – was it 17, 18 goals and 50 points for yeah. JT Confer? Like, this is this is, a, this is a really good season. Um, only got and a couple of like minutes left with you here, Peter, and there's always – Hundred percent. It's funny too because yeah. that was the, that was the big question at the at the beginning of the season, right? Uh, who is going to replace Nazem Kadri? Where are they going to go to get someone to replace Nazem Kadri? Is it going to be someone like Sean Monahan? Is it going to be Bo Horvat? Where are they going to go fishing to find the replacement? And maybe the replacement here was under their nose the entire time. Now he's due a new contract. Like the timing of this is very good. Um, I'm curious about the next Comfort deal. Uh, because he's unrestricted uh, at the end of the season. And I'm also curious about the Bowen Byram deal. Now, he's a restricted free agent, so not in the same situation as JT Comfer. But let's uh, let's close on the money conversation. JT Comfer and, and Bowen Byram, what do we look for here? Yeah, well, so the Avalanche are going to have some really tough decisions to make this, this offseason because the, the salary cap situation is going to get even tighter. And... Um, it might squeeze out a guy like JT Comfort because he's he's having a great year and and I think that the Avalanche can probably put together a solid offer for him. But if JT Comfort wants to get the most money possible, there's probably going to be another team that has the flexibility to pay more than that Avalanche. Um, so so it'll come down to kind of I think what he wants, what the Avalanche are willing to give. Um, but he's a yeah I mean he's kind of shown his value to the team and the fact that he's. He's, I think, 27, 28. He's still on the right side of, of 30. And, and um, yeah, this is, he, he's been around the team for a long time. So, so it's, it's, a, it's definitely an interesting situation and one that I'll be curious to see. if At the beginning of the year, I would have said it's very likely that he leaves um, just because the Avs won't have the money. But now with the season he's had, it's almost like, is this a guy you, you find a way to make the money work for because he's been so steady? Um, and then you brought mm-hmm. up Bowen Byram too, and he's a he is a he's going to be one of the more fascinating contracts this offseason because that guy is so I agree. good. He is so good when he plays, yep. but he's had he's had some injury struggles. So how do you factor that in? Do you try and give him a, a longer term deal and and just assume that the injuries are gonna um, are gonna level out? Do you try and make a bridge deal? Like it, it, it's going to be a really fascinating negotiation um just because 
he he is so talented and so good at hockey, but has also dealt with so many injuries. He really has, but I mean, you really see it. He looks. And again, we're dealing with the Avalanche, so sometimes when I watch the Avs, it's like watching the Harlem Globetrotters when they start zipping the puck around and everybody looks fantastic. But he just looks so confident. Like, with the puck up at the point, like, I know Kale McCarr is the master. Like, Kale McCarr is, like, next level. What do we always say about McCarr? If Connor McDavid were a defenseman, it'd be Kale McCarr. Yeah. Um, but I look at the way the way Bo Byram skates and moves the puck and the confidence he has uh, up around the blue line, distributing, getting it on net. Like, this is, this is now a supremely confident defenseman. Um, I got about a quick 30 seconds. What do you see when you see Bo Byram right now? Yeah, well, I, I, I think confidence was a great great word you used. And I think it's it's one of those things where it seems like with Byram, the more responsibility he gets, the better he plays. And and because he loves he loves playing in big moments. He he rises to those responsibilities, to those moments. You saw that in the Stanley Cup playoffs last year where when Samuel Gerard goes down with the broken sternum, Byram gets more ice time and by the time the Stanley Cup final comes around, he's arguably a McCarr was the best defenseman for the whole playoffs. But if you look at the, the cup final in particular, Byron was arguably the team's best defenseman. He was awesome that series. Um, and, and that might be a bit of a stretch, but he's, he was, he was really, really good and led the team in five, or led the series in five on five ice time, uh, including Victor Hedman, Kale McCarr. Like he was, he was really, really good. So, so he, I think confidence is a great observation, and he's someone who will rise to the responsibility he's given. So much fun to watch. Um, we're out of time. Uh, you have a great weekend, Peter. Always great catching up. Five games remaining in the Avalanche schedule, uh, and then we get to uh, the part where they put the candy on the rink, uh, the playoffs. Thanks, Peter. Much <laughs> appreciated, pal. Take care. Thank you. Peter Baugh, uh, Colorado Avalanche writer for The Athletic and uh, one of our favorites around here. That guy is on top of it. Uh, we'll hit a break. Jonathan Davis coming up from NHL Network Radio. A tour around. Well, we should. We usually when we have John on, we have a lot of California talk. We'll do that, and we'll get really Western Conference specific as well. But Josh Getzoff joins me in moments. Pittsburgh Penguins radio voice, the great dulcet tones of Getzoff in moment. Pens are one point out. One point out of a wild card spot, but the schedule looks good. Gets off comments in moments across the Sportsnet Radio Network. Discussing the biggest stories that matter to Toronto sports fans. The Fan Morning Show with Ailish Forfar and Justin Cuthbert. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Uh, in case you're wondering, there are uh, no NHL games on the schedule tonight. Last night was crazy. Uh, some really competitive games. Some non-competitive games that had great stories attached to them. Uh, I've won very non Well, I shouldn't say non-competitive because Ottawa really did throw everything at Alex Lyon last night, but the score was very uncompetitive. Uh, games that had plenty of uh, the ultra-violence attached to them. Um, and then there's a really hard-fought game between the Pittsburgh Penguins and the Minnesota Wild. And the Minnesota Wild, despite going into that one last night against Pittsburgh, having lost two in a row, um, are always a tough out. Like, that is a, a team that's really hard to play against. That's the, the hallmark of a Dean Evison team. 
And the Pittsburgh Penguins, systematically starting with Latang and finishing with Carter, and another Jason Zucker big goal there uh, in the in the middle of all of it, and a great performance by Tristan Jari, uh, come out with a 4-1 victory, and they hold their spot. They do not lose ground against the Islanders, who beat the Tampa Bay Lightning, and the Florida Panthers, who had their way with the Ottawa Senators. Josh Getzoff, play-by-play voice of the Pittsburgh Penguins, joins me now. Josh, how are you? Good, Jeff. Great to be with you again. How are you? Uh, I'm good, man. Always good to hear your voice. Um, Here's what I wonder about. How does anybody sleep in this organization? How does anyone, either in the organization or like an employee, not necessarily, you you don't even have to be in hockey operations, but anybody who's even minimally invested in the Pittsburgh Penguins and how they play and their fortunes, et cetera, et cetera. How does anybody sleep there? Let me first start by answering that question by saying that everybody affiliated with this organization, I think, has gotten a reality check as to how incredibly spoiled we've been for the better part of the last decade, uh, in the sense that we haven't been losing any sleep. You've known the Penguins were in the playoffs. You've known these situations were kind of taken care of. Uh, not so much this year. And really, honestly, Jeff, and I know you, you and I have spoken throughout this season, but the last handful of months i mean it's it the season's what six months long five months long i would say for the majority of it it's been up it's been down and the ups have been so high and the downs have been so low um that you haven't really gotten a pulse on this team and what they who they truly are i mean the, the identity as i've said before is more the inconsistency than anything so uh you know as you mentioned as a hard fought win against minnesota last night and it was important because of the other results i mean if you don't win that game based on what happened on the island and in Florida, you're you're probably done. Um, being being the gap being three points with uh, three games left, so uh, they kept themselves within striking distance. They're obviously going to need some help, but um, yeah, we'll see. I mean, it, it's been a, a struggle for this team to string together back-to-back victories, and now they have to win three in a row uh, just to give themselves a chance to get into the playoffs. So we'll see what happens. You know, there's um, there's one old sports cliche, and, and by and large it's true, but there are some examples of the contrary, that uh, the Pittsburgh Penguins completely crumple up and throw in the wastebasket, and, and that is this. Um, you know you're going into a winning streak when you lose games that you should win. It's actually a sort of predictor of, okay, what's coming up here? Um, and you know you're going into a losing streak when you win games that you should lose. But the Pittsburgh Penguins this season have taken that and thrown that out because honestly, and I know we've talked about it plenty, and you just uh, and you just explained it a little further there. I have no idea what to expect game in and game out. Like I can look at a game where the Pittsburgh Penguins, you know, they uh, they win the game, but they should have lost. That means nothing for the following game, or vice versa. It means nothing for the following game. It's like. We've talked about this with, you know, the emotional equivalent in Canada is this. Um, there's no such thing as an 82-game season. There's only 82 one-game seasons. And that in Canada just means you live and die and everything is the Stanley Cup final with the Canadian hockey team. With the Pittsburgh Penguins, what that means to me in 82 one-game seasons is I have no idea what to expect from game to game. I could either get, you know, Hall of Fame performances from, you know, one of the elite level teams of this generation or something that makes us say, well, you know what? Aging curves are real and we better get used to it. Know what I mean? Yeah, no, absolutely. And I would take it even one step further. I think it's uh, not so much game to game this year. As crazy as it sounds, it's been period to period. I mean, they were just in Detroit uh, two weeks ago. We're going there to face off against the Red Wings tomorrow, but they're down 3 nothing after the first period. 
They come back and tie the game at three. It ends up being 4-4 after the second, and then the wheels fall off in the third, and they lose the game. So um, it's, it's, just a, it's really been hard to put your finger on it because I think the common denominator with this team that everyone talked about was the age and the experience and the Stanley Cups that they've won. But then you look at it in the grand scheme of things, and all those things that you think would translate to you know, an understanding of the moment, situational awareness, all that stuff, doesn't seem to come out consistently uh, for this team. Now, I will say last night was one of the more refreshing efforts they've given in a long time, and I also thought their game against Boston was pretty strong as well. But um, I feel like overall they've kind of left you wanting more or questioning why there isn't more at certain situations in the season. And, um, you know, you give – I, I, to me, at least, I give Florida and I give the Islanders credit because they're doing what they're supposed to do. I mean, the Penguins have kind of put themselves in this situation. And uh, now, as I said, you, you got to win out and just hope for some help along the way. Yeah, you do. Uh, you, you do need some uh, some assistance from the out of town scoreboard if you're the Pittsburgh Penguins. But but here's the thing: like I look at the Penguins, kind of similar how I look at the Islanders in that. If they can get in, and there's no guarantee for either team here. I mean, one of the two will. Um, but if if you get in, the Pittsburgh Penguins, much like the Islanders, with a lot of you know veteran, highly skilled players, are kind of built for the playoffs. The only thing about the Pittsburgh Penguins is we've seen all of that work undone by net minding, which is when I look at that game last night um, against the Minnesota Wilds, a 4-1 to victory, and I want to uh, uh, get in a conversation about Jason Zucker here in a second, but let's just bracket the Zucker conversation for a second. To me, the story coming out of it is another good performance by Tristan Jari. And I look at the Penguins and I say, if this team can get that kind of goaltending out of Tristan Jari, and if he can stay healthy, I know it sounds crazy because everyone's all 77 Montreal about the Boston Bruins these days. I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility. They could beat the Bruins. It would be a stunning first-round upset, but I think that they have the juice to do something like that. Now, a lot of things have to break the right way. Everything has to click together. But the big one is they have to get the goaltending. Am I crazy for even suggesting that? No, because I think as you look at last season and even the year prior to that in the playoffs, those first-round exits to the Rangers and the Islanders, if you watch those series, the better team lost, but the better goaltender won. And that's kind of how it went in those games. I mean, the Penguins were down to Louis Domingue last year against the Rangers. It's not an excuse. It's just reality. And the the Rangers obviously had the the Hart candidate and the Vesna winner and Igor Shosturkin, and he made a difference. He did what he was supposed to do. Um, and I, I think, you know, there's been a, an element of that with this team this year because Tristan Jari has really struggled to stay healthy, particularly in the second half of the season, getting hurt in the Winter Classic and then, you know, missing a ton of games in succession over the better part of the last few months. And Casey DeSmith has played more games than he's ever played in his career. He's tied his career high in wins, mm-hmm. but it's the, the, the workload that I think is, is more of the surprise when you had it mapped out in the beginning of the year to where you're at now. And you know, you, you've seen it. You've watched a lot of hockey, Jeff. You know, like in these situations when teams have a goaltender in that they're saying the right things about, but sometimes a goal goes in that should have been stopped, you can sense it and you can feel the deflating feeling down there at ice level with this group. And I think that's happened quite a few times where they played strong, but they've given up a goal that kind of just takes the wind out of their sails. And uh, Tristan, in, in the last couple of games, you know, I mean, obviously the Devils game, was ugly on Tuesday night. And as weird as it sounds, despite him giving up five goals, um, if anyone watched that game, he was under siege from the first shift throughout. Uh, So, yeah, you'd rather not have a five spot against you, but I wouldn't necessarily peg that on him 
Uh, his start before that, he gets a 28-save shutout against Nashville. And then last night, he was solid. I, I didn't think he needed to be spectacular last night against the Wild, which is a testament to the Penguins. Um, but he was solid mm-hmm. in that game. Uh, and you're right, that's, that's going to be the key for Pittsburgh. Um, and the, the one encouraging thing about Tristan Jari, it works twofold here, is one, he does appear to be back to full strength. He does appear to be getting his timing back with everything because the practices have been few and far between, like, For example, the team had an optional skate yesterday. They're not practicing today. They won't skate before the game in Detroit tomorrow. So it's just been kind of limited as far as seeing any kind of simulated action and practice for Jari. Uh, But he's stepped in and he's played well these last couple of games. And if that's the case, remember, he's a free agent. So, So he's doing this for his stock right now after this year. Um, and I think there's something to yep. be gained for both sides uh, if he's able to take his uh, game up a notch. And if the Penguins are to get in, if he's able to orchestrate some kind of run uh, subsequently. You know, one of the I, I want to get to the Zucker conversation here uh, in a roundabout mm-hmm. way. So on the uh, on the latest podcast that Elliot and I did that, that came out a couple of hours ago, we talked um, we talked about the Pittsburgh Penguins and we talked about Jason Zucker and the game last night and how clutch he's been. He's having a, a wonderful season, big game guy, all of it. And, you know, the, the, the JT Miller conversations between, you know, Vancouver and Pittsburgh, I mean, that goes back last year too. Um, and I, although it didn't sound like they got close this time around either because of how complicated a deal it was, if it did happen, Jason Zucker was probably one of the players that would have to be included in that deal. Now, it didn't get to any significant level of seriousness, as as we're led to believe. But nonetheless, um, Jason Zucker uh, is valued around the NHL because of what we're seeing now from Jason Zucker. And again, last night, that's a huge goal. Like that third goal in last night's game is an absolutely huge goal for the Pittsburgh Penguins. Um, and you know, it's a, it's, it's a real benefit having someone like, like Jason Zucker. I mean, here's a guy and listen, I'll, I'll look back at this season and always, when you hear when I hear the name Jason Zucker, I'll think of the Jordan Bennington incidents and his face yeah. on the bench and what happened afterwards and the goal and, and all of it. But do you have a few words, um, uh, in, in your hip pocket about Jason Zucker? I know Crosby gets a lot of headlines, Malkin, Latang, et cetera, but where's, uh, where's Josh gets off at on, on Jason Zucker? Uh, the, the energy and the uh, moxie that he has is not matched in the Penguins lineup. And I don't say that lightly because of some of the names that you mentioned right there that are uh, pretty good performers and, you know, Hall of Fame legendary level performers from a statistical perspective. But, you know, Jason Zucker's only 5'11". I think he's a shade under 190, but he plays. Phil Bork and I always joke, if he had three more inches on him, uh, he'd probably be one of the most sought-after forwards in the NHL um, because he plays yeah. with a snarl. He's not afraid to go to the net. Uh, his shot, which I think he got away from the last couple of years due to some of those injuries he had, obviously the sports hernia, some subsequent surgeries that really slowed him down the last couple of seasons. He's recovered from all that. He had a full off season this past year to really focus on his training. Um, also knowing, you know, he is in a contract year and really had to prove himself to one, be a healthy player, but also be a productive player uh, back in the lineup. I mean, now he's at 26, 27 goals on the year. Uh, he's right up there amongst the Penguins yeah. leaders. And you mentioned, you mentioned those goals. Like last night, I agree with you. The Penguins have not been great in third periods this year. They've let a lot of games slip away that they should have had at least one point, if not two in. Um, and that goal last night, even though it was early, less than three minutes into the third, 
it loomed large from the mental perspective of the Penguins. And I feel like Jason Zucker has been kind of that cog in that department for the Penguins of, you know, keeping them level-headed mentally, keeping them in the fight, keeping them, um, you know, more emotionally engaged on a night-to-night basis. And I think it's fair to say that if he wasn't in the lineup this year or if he wasn't what he's been this year, I don't know where they would be because he's really had that much of an impact on them. Uh, you know, he's had some streaky moments where he scored in bunches for the Penguins, but during critical stretches of the season, uh, and he had slowed down a bit the last handful of games before last night. So uh, I think he realizes the situation. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, everyone obviously does with the Penguins, but you can't just constantly keep going back to the well for what's been an amazing year from Sid and Gino and these other guys to their credit. You know, you, you, you mentioned Jeff Carter, Crystal Tang scores last night, Zucker. Uh, you know, these yep. guys all find the back of the net. That's significant. Uh, Raquel as well. So, uh, but that guy's just a different kind of player than any other skater the Penguins have in their lineup. And, and he's, he's fun to watch. He's fun to cover. He's a great personality. Um, and uh, hopefully uh, he's got a handful of games, if not more left in him in a Penguins jersey. You know, I um, uh, maybe a younger team, maybe even a younger Pittsburgh Penguins team would look at these last three games and say, oh, two-foot putt, we got this, boys. Uh, Detroit Red Wings, Chicago Blackhawks, Columbus Blue Jackets. That's what's remaining. Now, the Islanders have a pretty easy schedule as well. Um, you know, non-playoff teams, Philadelphia, Washington, Montreal. Um, the Florida Panthers have a tough sled here. They got the Washington Capitals, the Maple Leafs, and then the, the Carolina Hurricanes. But maybe a younger Pittsburgh Penguins team would look at the uh, the next three games or the last three games of the season and, you know, kind of say, you know, not that we're going to lick the envelope and mail it in, but, you know, we can surf on our skill here, boys. We got these three. I don't know that given the season that has been for the Pittsburgh Penguins or who's in that room, you know, namely Crosby, uh, I don't think they'll look at these last three games and say, oh, yeah, Detroit's going to be a layup. Oh, this is going to be easy against Chicago, and Columbus is just going to lay down for us. I, I don't believe that the Penguins have that type of makeup in their room. Agree, disagree? Agree because of the recent situation. I, I think that at times they've been guilty of that, to be honest with you this year, Jeff. But I think recently, yep. and you know, as I mentioned, that game in Detroit that just happened where David Perron gets a hat trick and, and you blow – what really looks like a missed opportunity now, given the one point gap between them and the Islanders and Panthers uh, in that contest, uh, I think they'll be dialed in and ready to go tomorrow. And, you know, Chicago, just what they went in up to Calgary and, and shocked the flames, uh, swept the season series from them. They're, they're not necessarily slowing down. They just, you know, obviously don't have anything to play for except for some kid named Bedard. Um, but I think that that's going to be something that has their attention to being the last home game of the season. And, you know, the interesting thing about that Columbus game, Jeff, is that the Islanders finished their season the night before. So, realistically, Mm. you mentioned they have a fairly easy schedule. The Penguins may know what the deal is going into Columbus on Thursday night. The Panthers also play that night. um, And, you know, Carolina might not have the division wrapped up at that point. They're going back and forth with New Jersey. So, um, that Thursday night game in Columbus – Obviously, you got to win the two before it for it to even matter, in my opinion, at least. Um, but yeah, that's going to be uh, that could be for uh, for all the marbles, as they say, to to get into the postseason. But um, it'll be interesting. To your point, I do think tomorrow they'll be ready to go, and you, you have to manufacture the kind of intensity you had against a really, really good Minnesota team uh, last night against a not so great Detroit team, but a team that just spanked you uh, a week and a half ago. So. 
I think they'll be ready to rock. How are Penns fans through all of this? I always wonder, you know, the, the fans go on the roller coaster, right? Like they buy they buy the ticket to get on the ride. And for Penguins fans, to your point earlier, Josh, it's been up and down like a toilet seat at a stag and doe. Um, how are Penns fans through this season? Well, it's Good Friday. I would say they're probably going to go to church and maybe spend a, a couple extra hours um, in prayer for what's about to happen here over the next week for the Penguins because they are riding that wave just like anybody else, Jeff. And, and man, I mean, there's there's a roller coaster yeah. here in Pittsburgh at the amusement park called the Jack Rabbit, and it's a wooden roller coaster. And I've never been on it, but I've heard that it's what you would expect for an old wooden roller coaster as far as the bumps and the twists and the jolting. And uh, I've compared this season probably for them for a Jack Rabbit ride. Uh, at times, because I think that's mm. kind of what it's felt like. You you have your highs, but your your stomach feels like it's flipped around at times as well with some of the losses. But uh, listen, I mean, I, I will say last night, it was a great atmosphere in there. I would expect that if the Penguins can win tomorrow in Detroit, that fan appreciation night Tuesday against Chicago, given the, the stakes, will be buzzing as well. And, uh, you know, these these people have been spoiled here, Jeff. They've, they've seen playoff hockey for the last mm-hmm. 16 years. Uh, and the ones that I've talked to recently, if, it, you know, their, their tone went from, well, man, maybe it wouldn't be the worst thing if the Penguins didn't get in to now having these kind of games later in the season and saying, no, nope, no, nope, we're backpedaling on that. We want to be in the playoffs. We want that. We want that emotion. We want that excitement, that energy. And um, I do think that, uh, you know, as I said, they're riding the wave, but they'll be ready to support them uh, come Tuesday night for that uh, home regular season finale against Chicago. Absolutely. Um, I want to close on uh, on uh, on on this one, and it's uh, on a personal note because we have a, a mutual association with uh, with Colby Armstrong. How's Colb's been around the shop? We met, we miss him here. He's the busiest man in show business, Jeff. You know, like this guy's. I know. I mean, he's got spinning chiclets. He's down in Tampa right now. He's between the benches with our TV broadcast. Yep. He's helping out on our radio side with the pre and the post. Um, uh, he's just a wizard. He's everywhere. Uh, and and he, he couldn't be in higher demand right now. I don't know how he, he keeps it up. I think it's really credit to his wife, Mel. She kind of manages him, uh, as we yeah, know. Um, but she does, a, she does a good job of keeping him in check. And, and he's, he's obviously awesome at, at what he does and brings that great level of knowledge mixed with personality that I think is so unique to him. And uh, it's been a blast. You know, he and I came into the Penguins the same year. We started working together uh, on the pre- and post-game shows with the radio um, and we've kind of, you know, grown in the broadcasting side of the NHL in different capacities and different roles, but, you know, alongside each other. And it's been really fun to, to see him get the opportunities he's gotten because he deserves it. And he's, you know, he's a rising star. I know you guys miss him at Sportsnet, but oh. uh, I'm sure if, if, he, oh, if he wants yeah. to make his way back there, I, I bet there'd be a, a chair for him. I don't know, man. I, I look at I look at him on TV now, and listen. I listen to you know any podcast that he's involved in, and uh, he just looks like so comfortable. And you know, Colby and I, whenever we, and it's funny. I just spoke to him yesterday. Whenever we talk about his his career, I always remind him. I was like, dude, when you started, you were the most nervous ex player I ever saw in my life. Like about every <laughs> tiny little thing. Like we, used, I used to have to like do prep with Colby like three, four hours before shows, just going over every note, and he would just like live in his head and talk himself into <laughs> corners and and talk himself, you know, into in, into into anxiety. And Josh, like now, I I look at him and he's 
Like I always say, he's Kelly Rudy good because Kelly Rudy looks like so comfortable and has for years when he's on camera, like he was just born to be in front of a camera. Like Colby's getting there. Like he just looks like natural and at ease, comfy in his own skin. He's he's getting Kelly Rudy good at being on TV now. Definitely, and that's high praise too. And I agree with you. I, I think that watching him evolve over the last little bit's been really fun. And to your point, when I used to do those you know, pre and post game shows with him on the pregame, we'd have like a three minute, four minute segment um, that was called army's angle, which still exists by the way. Yep. Um, and uh, he would call me same kind of deal before broadcast. We'd, you know, we'd get on the air at six o'clock. I'd hear from him at like noon. He's like, buddy, buddy, I don't know what to talk about here. It's, it's game 56. I'm so nervous. <laughs> <laughs> and we'd have to walk him through it. But look at him now. Now he's now he's getting being told what to do by the producers that he's excelling and like you said, he looks comfortable, he looks great, That's and he's awesome. crushing it. I love it. I love it. I love it. I'm so happy for that guy. And uh happy for you and listen, good luck to your Pittsburgh Penguins here, man. It's been uh it's been an interesting ride getting there. They're one point out with uh, with three games remaining. Uh, a lot of veteran players as you know on that team. Like there's, there's Hall of Famers in that room as you know, Josh, and be curious to see what happens and the three games remaining down the stretch here. Thanks as always for stopping by. Have a great Easter weekend and we'll we'll catch up soon. Same to you, Jeff. Happy Easter to you and yours and yeah, look forward to talking to you soon. Absolutely. Uh, the great Josh Getzoff, play-by-play voice of the Pittsburgh Penguins. Uh, the Penguins have three games remaining. Uh, not tonight. No one plays tonight. It is a quiet night around the NHL. Uh, and then everyone's in action tomorrow. 16 games. Uh, the Pittsburgh Penguins facing off against the Detroit Red Wings. And they have Chicago. And they have Columbus. And they're one point out. Uh, again, the Islanders have the Flyers, the Capitals, and the Montreal Canadiens. So the the path is there. Like, we looked at the Islanders this week and said, all right, Tampa's going to be the tough one here. Tampa's going to be the tough game. That's going to be the one that, you know, they may stub their toe on. But then there's you know smooth sailing afterwards uh, for the uh, for the uh, for the New York Islanders, and convincingly at UBS six to one is the final score. Brock Nelson uh, with three points in that one. The Florida Panthers uh, have a little bit of a tougher schedule here uh, as they'll face off against the Washington Capitals and then finish up against the Maple Leafs and then their game eighty two. Uh, is the Carolina Hurricanes. So uh, a few things that I wanted to mention as well. Mentioned in the first hour about the Seattle Kraken, so they get in, they qualify for the postseason. And there's a lot of there's a lot of wonderful stories coming out of Seattle this season. Um, you know, there are some some question marks about contracts coming up. Vince Dunn uh, is a restricted free agent, and he's had just a marvelous season. Um, I think that when you look at Vince Dunn with Seattle. Um, I think, you know, the first thing a St. Louis Blues fan will look at and they'll say, you know, we we could use one of those again here on our on our blue line. But as we saw with the St. Louis Blues, it was a tough lineup for, for Dunn to, to, to crack with any consistency uh, at the high level. He gets his opportunity with the Seattle Kraken and him and Adam Larson uh, have been dynamic together and we fully expect... Um, down-ballot votes uh, to see Vince Dunn's name on there. Uh, the Tolvanen pickup was a great one. Uh, I know we're not supposed to say anything about that around Nashville when they're listening, but it's true. Um, and even though the goaltending doesn't look good by save percentage, um, they have been good. I mean, I'd, I'd be really curious to see, um, because the the great... The, the, the one person who measures goaltending performances, for my money, better than anyone else is Steve Valaket. 
uh, and his company, ClearSight Analytics, which has taken, like, we've all gotten past goals against average, right? Like, growing up, maybe you thought that goals against average is a great way to judge goaltenders. Well, no. That's a team number more than an individual number. And then we all went crazy for save percentage. And that's probably a closer and more accurate representation um, of, uh, of, of, of goaltending and, and goaltenders. Uh, but then there's an entire different subsection uh, when you look at you know goals saved above expected, for example. And the way that Steve Valaket is able to break it down... I mean, he's the one that I, th- I think in a, in a lot of ways helped really turn people on to the, the season post-December 10th that Jonas Corposalo uh, was having. And then he turned into one of the more sought-after goaltenders come trade deadline time, uh, and he ends up with the Los Angeles Kings. So the goaltending may not look like it's been there if you just look at the save percentages uh, because both are sub-900. Um, but still, like they've gotten clutch goaltenders, uh, goaltending, and I don't think the save percentage stat tells the whole story when it comes to Seattle. Now, you have great performances by Jared McCann. You have performances by Oliver Bjorkstrand, like up and down the lineup. Uh, you've got really good performances here, and I think all of it's strung together by Dave Haxtall. You know, what did we all say it to be at the end of last season? Wow, they need to make sweeping changes here. Um, you know, Haxtall wasn't their first choice. That was Rick Tockett's job, and then they went with Haxtall for whatever reason, and oh, blah, 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 do something with the coaching staff. This is the same coach, the same coaching staff, um, but things finally started to settle for the Seattle Kraken, and they went from being, oh, look, they've won three games in a row to, holy smokes, the Seattle Kraken are going to make it in the playoffs, um, and they've had some command performances along the way. So congratulations uh, to the Seattle Kraken for uh, for making it into the postseason. Uh, the Buffalo Sabres still continue to try to make noise to stay in, keep their playoff hopes alive, keep their heads above water, etc. Uh, that was a difficult one against the Detroit Red Wings yesterday. Plucky wings, right? Uh, hanging in there, making the comebacks, took a shootout. Uh, Alex Tuck, surprise, surprise. And when you talk about glue players for teams, uh, as much as Tage Thompson gets the headlines and Rasmus Dallin, and now everyone's crazy for Devin Levi, through all of it, the big consistency for the uh, the Buffalo Sabres, the one who should get Christmas cards from everybody um, is Alex Tuck. Uh, one quick note as well. I think I mentioned this in hour one. Uh, one more quick note about the Seattle Kraken. Uh, last night, the Kitchener Rangers of the OHL uh, defeated, swept actually, the Windsor Spitfires. Uh, so that is an eight knocking off a one. That doesn't happen. Uh, it certainly doesn't happen in the Ontario Hockey League. Eight sweeping one, but there it was last night. Uh, feel bad for Mark Savard, real good coach. Um, Tough one for Shane Wright uh, as well. So his season in the OHL is done. I don't think that Shane Wright uh, would get on a plane right away and beat it out of Windsor, probably spend a few days uh, with his teammates and then make his way to Coachella Valley um, where his season will continue. Like it's been a... It's been a weird season for Shane Wright. Beginning of the season, there were the healthy scratches, limited ice time. Is Haxtell ever going to play this guy? Like, it dominated every headline around Seattle. Like, it was, it's all we could talk about. And all we could do is, at the end of every night, grab the game sheet and see, okay, how many, how many minutes was Shane Wright allowed uh, to skate at the NHL level? And then when they you know, finally got to the spot where they could send him down to, the Co- to, to Coachella Valley, he excelled. And then there was the World Juniors and sending him to Windsor. And where is he going to go? Is it going to be Peterborough? Is it going to be Barrie? Is it going to be London? Is it going to be Ottawa? 
and the Windsor Spitfires swooped in and grabbed him. A really successful stint with the Windsor Spitfires. It was looking like this was going to be maybe a lost opportunity for development for Shane Wright, but not so fast between, you know, World Juniors and uh, the brief stint with Coachella Valley and now playing a ton uh, in all situations for the Windsor Spitfires of the OHL. Now he heads to Coachella Valley, his head coach, Dan Bilesma, um, and they're a really good team, and it's a packed barn, and it's one of maybe the biggest, with all due respect to Henderson, the biggest success stories in the American Hockey League this season. Things are kind of coming up roses right now for Shane Wright. It stings that his team went out in the first round at the hands of the uh, Kitchener Rangers. And by the way, Mike McKenzie, just a great job behind the bench. Um I know it was a difficult decision um, to fire their coach, but still, uh, Mike McKenzie's done a wonderful job there. Uh, but Shane Wright now enters yet another phase of this year's development season, another stint with Coachella Valley. We expect that to happen relatively soon. Um, we're going to take a break. We're going to come back and talk a little bit more about West Coast hockey, talk about the Calgary Flames as well, and we'll talk about last night's Vegas Golden Knights-Los Angeles Kings game. And again, there was another fight in that one. And if you ever wondered, you know, Nick Haig is big, um, but I wonder if Nick Haig is tough. Well, last night answered that question. Jonathan Davis from NHL Network Radio joins me in a couple of moments. Uh, We'll talk about Vegas and Los Angeles. He was there and the rest of the West Coast experience as well. JD in moments. Merrick Show continues across the Sportsnet Radio Network. Simulcast on Sportsnet 360 and Sportsnet Now. Everything Raptors before and after the games. The Raptor Show with Will Liu. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Give us Jonathan Quick, you cowards. Not to be. Lauren Boswag gets the start for the Vegas Golden Knights. They beat the Los Angeles Kings 5-2 last night. Waswa over Corpusalo, Kessel, Barbashev, Stevenson, Marcheseau, and Nicholas Waugh score for uh, the Vegas Golden Knights. Uh, John Davis was there, our buddy from uh, NHL Network Radio. How are you doing today, J.D.? I'm doing great, and it's, it's LB to you. At least that's what Jonathan Quick kept calling him yesterday. LB. L- LB? So we got L- LB, yes. and J- LB and JQ. So that's that's the, that's the tip we're going yes. with here on Vegas. Oh, but so let me let me just jump off here for really quick. I want I want to get to that yeah. game, but I just had Josh Getzoff on a couple of seconds ago, and I know that Getzoff, play-by-play voice of the Pittsburgh Penguins, is pretty special to uh, to your family. He is, and just as he has been a great mentor for Colby Armstrong, he has been an outstanding mentor to my son, <laughs> who is trying to break into the industry. He's at. Uh, Toronto Metropolitan University, and I, I, I got to tell you, Josh sent my son like uh, like a three-page essay on prepping for how to do a game. He's just a phenomenal human being. He really is a uh, talented broadcaster, heart of gold. Um, whenever I see him, I'm like, dude, you're going to be so big in this industry. You don't even know it yet. You're fourth yeah. for the trees right now with that kind of talent. The uh, the future's bright. Forgets off. Okay. Vegas Golden Knights, Los Angeles Kings. So I flipped this one on. I think I put my head down for about uh, uh, a hot five seconds. And when I lifted my head up, it was 3 nothing Vegas. And, like, the game, the game was over. Uh, walk us through this game last night. What were your, uh, what were your takeaways from it? 
Well, I think the best line came from a, from one person who works for the Kings who said to me, he goes, I think our guys thought, thought it was an 8 o'clock start tonight and not 7. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I'm, yeah. But what was interesting also was that they got a sense of things from the morning skate, and they just felt like, God, our team's not ready. And I don't know why. Like, there's no reason. It's not back-to-back. But, you know, they just – after the disallowed goal for – you know, or overturn goal for offside. I mean, everything just went mm-hmm. out the window for Los Angeles. And here's the thing that I, I will say with Vegas, Jeff, is that, you know, you take a look at their, their last two losses where, where I would call sandwich games. They played San Jose after playing two with Edmonton, and then they had Minnesota following San Jose. And it just seemed like, yeah, they just looked flat. And then they have that flat game against Nashville after playing two with Minnesota and L.A. on the other end. So the way that Vegas came out and responded last night, I think it just, you know, it tells you a lot. And, you know, people aren't buying them, but and I've heard people say they're fraudulent. Jeff, after 79 games, Mm -hmm. you can't be fraudulent. Uh, that's right, and not in a really competitive Western Conference, not, not in a really, you know, difficult Pacific Division as well. Like, look, I think we all understand why the Vegas Golden Knights didn't make the playoffs last year. Injuries. That's it. Like, that was that was the reason yeah. um, they didn't win last season. It was injuries. I know that Kelly McCrimmon doesn't want to hear it. Now the owner doesn't want to hear it. George McPhee doesn't want to hear it, et cetera. But it, it, was, it was injuries. Like, that was it. Like, there's... There's, there's, the, there's still the remains of a really high-end team here. I, I think the big question I had Bruce Cassidy on earlier this week, too, is, you know, yeah. what are we going to get out of Jack Eichel in the playoffs? Like, I think this is his first well, shot at it. Like, this is Jack Eichel's first time yeah. in the playoffs here, J.D. It is, but, you know, I'm hearing that he may have a friend that's going to join him in Mark Stone for round one. And... If that happens, then, well, well, we'll see. I mean, obviously Stone's been off the ice for a long time. The other thing, though, that I will say, Jeff, is that I, the Golden Knights people keep telling me that this is a much closer group this year than it was last year. It was a fractured room last year. And so, yeah, I'm interested to see what Jack does. He's had a really good second half to the season. Uh, so I, I don't know. And I like the pieces that Kelly brought in. You know, Barbashev has been a great fit for this team. Bluger's been a good yeah, fit like for this him. team. You know, uh, Dorfiev gets the call up and has been on a, like a house on fire. And even a guy like Michael Amadio, the former king and senator, I mean, no one saw this coming from him with the offense that he's provided. So uh, they're, in a, they're, in a, they're a much better team than they were even two years ago, I think. Yeah, you know, Dorofiev's interesting. Like uh, like they need another one to pop up front and he's been real good uh for them. I want to say I want to say is a third round draft pick, not a second, I don't yeah. think. Yeah. third round draft pick. I think a third. Yeah. Uh, really skilled really yeah, really really skilled player. Well, that I mean, listen, the uh the interest and intrigue around Mark Stone is fascinating because um, you know, we were talking about the Selkie Trophy. I think it might have been yesterday or the day before they all run together. And once again, I was blathering on about how only you know four wingers have won this thing, um, and this is exclusively the the domain of the centerman now. I get that the responsibilities are more. I get it, but still, you know, like the 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 award was essentially created for a winger, and that's Bob Gainey. 
and only four wingers have won this thing. Like, Marion Hossa went through his entire career, never won a Selkie. That's an outrage. And I fear the same thing for Mark Stone because somewhere along the way, uh, the Selkie Trophy should have bumped into Mark Stone. And if he's anywhere near healthy, that is enormous for the Vegas Golden Knights yeah. because I think we look at the Colorado Avalanche hitting their stride, getting healthy, all of it. And we wonder who can take down this team. And we wonder about Vegas. And we wonder about Vegas more so if they have a relatively healthy, because I don't think he's ever 100%, Mark Stone. Yeah, and the other person that we haven't even mentioned is Shea Theodore and how he changes that blue line. And I think they could be arguably one of the best blue lines in the NHL. They, they've got guys that can do everything that you need you know, you've got the shot blocker in Martinez. You've got the puck mover in theater. You've got Petro back there. You've got McNabb who plays a nasty game. You've got guys like, you know, a Zach Whitecloud and a Haig. And, you know, it's a really good blue line. But they do miss Shea Theodore. They, they should have him back for the playoffs. And that's another guy that, you know, kind of goes unnoticed out, out here in, in the West. Um, well, one of the things that, um, listen, whenever you and I text or talk, uh, one of the players we always seem yeah. to come back to is Quentin Byfield. And at what point is he going to pop? Where are you at right now with Quentin Byfield of the Los Angeles Kings? Regression, Jeff. Um, you know, I think he's hit a wall, and, and that's not an indictment, you know, on, on, on him whatsoever. I mean, you know, look, first full season, you know, well, three-quarters of a season. But, you know, it's like eight, eight or nine games without a point. And you can see that his play has fall, fallen off. And with that, so is the top line. I mean, you know, they went through a stretch, I'd say, the last couple of weeks where for the first time in a while, you would, that Kopitar line would go out in the ice and you would expect that, you know, you would, there was a really good chance they, could, they would score. LA hasn't had that for a while. But now they're, they're back to where, ugh, I don't know if they are, and Byfield has really struggled. Um, I wonder what happens if they do make a, a change to the top line, uh, you know, for, come playoff time. It's convincing. I mean, L.A.'s hurting, and, you know, one of your favorite players, Mikey Anderson, is a huge loss for this team. Yeah. If they don't, you know, if, you know, if they don't have him for round one, and I don't know, you know, I, I, don't, I don't know exactly what the injury is. I don't want to speculate, but, uh, you know, they call it upper body. But, you know, you're missing Anderson and Fiala. And those are, you know, that, that's, that's two big pieces out of your lineup that you're missing. Yeah, that's, uh, that, that's huge. How does, the, um, how does that first-round matchup look to you? Because, first of all, A, you hope for everyone to be healthy for it. I know that's a pipe dream, but still. Uh, how does L.A. Edmonton uh, size up for you, J.D.? Well, I don't, think, I don't think it sized up very well for L.A. I mean, I, I, I think that Edmonton... You know, I love the moves that L.A. made at the deadline. I love the moves that Edmonton made even better. And what we've seen the last couple of games, you know, the game in Edmonton that, they king, that the Oilers won 2-0 against L.A., the game in, in L.A. where they won 3-1, you know, Jeff, they, 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 can, they, they push L.A. around. They're big. I mean, I was joking with Mark Spector in the press box. I said, I'm not sure who's bigger, the Oilers or the Edmonton Elks. I mean, it's a big, big team, and, and they got size and speed. So, I, you know, L.A. had a chance last night, if they would have won that game, especially in regulation, to either have Edmonton finish first or to put themselves in a position to finish first, and they didn't either. And so I don't like a first-round matchup against the Oilers for L.A. 
Mm-hmm. Um, let me ask you about Seattle. I've talked plenty about them today. Yesterday, they officially <clears throat> clinched. Um, there's a, there's a few things here. I mean, this is a team that really can lock it down when they have a lead after 40. Uh, that's a well-told story. Uh, this is a team that, you know, uh, no forwards get into the 20-minute mark for ice time and no forwards dip down into single digits either. It's a really well-balanced lineup. Uh, no one's a point-of-game player, yet there have been great performances. Jared McCann, Vince Dunn, etc., um, this is a team that now we're saying is well coached. Last year we're saying the coach needed to be fired. Uh, where is JD uh, at with the uh, with the Seattle Kraken? Well, I love watching him play. That, that's first and foremost. Hang on, hang on, JD. Uh, we're gonna we're gonna pa- we're gonna pause you down. We're having a problem with your phone here. I was kind of going a second ago. We're gonna uh, give JD a call back. He's kind of having a problem with his his phone there, Lance. If you could pot him down, and we'll get uh, we'll get uh, Jonathan Davis back here on the. Uh, on the program, and we'll get him to, to finish his point about the Seattle Kraken. Like, this is a, like, that's a, first of all, a dumb statement of the day for me. It's a big weekend all around, specifically tomorrow, uh, where every team is in action. Um, but there are two enormous games on Saturday night on Hockey Night in Canada. The Winnipeg Jets facing off against the Nashville Predators. Uh, Winnipeg are wound really tight right now and have been for a while. Um, all those star players on that team seem real tense. Uh, the head coach, Rick Bonus, seems real tense as well. Uh, we also have the Calgary Flames facing off against the Vancouver Canucks. Calgary's going to jump back into this one, and they did themselves a world of good on Wednesday. Uh, Saturday's Calgary Flames-Vancouver game is enormous. JD, we got you back. We're just talking a little bit about the Seattle yeah. crack in there. Let's cross our fingers on the line and yeah. hope that technology is our friend. Yeah, let's hope so. I'm out in the desert here on my way back to L.A. So, look, with Seattle, I heard you talking about the goaltending situation before I came on. You know, if Grubauer can get on a run, absolutely. You know, he's had moments where he's been really good. And so, that's for me, that's what it comes down to. Look, I think they've got, what, four or five 20-goal scorers on this team. Yep. You know, yeah, one through 12. It's a, it's a great, it's a really, it's a good team. Yeah, I, I, everything you said, I don't think I can say anything more. It just comes down to if Grubauer can get hot, they've got a shot. If not, you know, it's a problem because there's no confidence in Martin Jones. And so they're going to need Philip Grubauer to, to be one of their best players every night in the playoffs. Who's the big story for them for you? Like To, to me, the, the unsung story is Vince Dunn. We haven't talked enough yeah. about him. I don't think we've talked a lot about Jared McCann and uh, Matty Veneer is probably going to win the Calder Trophy. Don't throw anything at me, everybody. Um, but for for me, Vince Dunn is a great untold story there. And listen, he's in for a, for a nice little bump on his contract. He's a restricted free agent here. Um, who's the, who are the, who are the big stories for you with with Seattle? Well, I I think that the fact that Matty Beneers has been able to sustain you know these numbers throughout the season. Uh, how you know? It's just it's it's been so critical for them, you know, playing such a pivotal position. So I don't think you can underestimate it. But you know, look, Leaf fans have got to be kicking themselves to see Jared McCann doing what he's doing. Uh, so yeah, I don't think you can talk about <laughs> yep. you know about Seattle without what you know without McCann, Beniers, and, and Vince Dunn. I mean, the fact that is, is Dunn still leading them in scoring? Last check, I thought he was. Uh, uh, he uh, it, no, Jared Jared McCann has sixty six points and Dunn has sixty four. Oh. Oh, okay. Regardless, I mean, you, you know, you've got a guy 
and done. Like when I look at what makes a, a, a team, gives a shot, gives a team a shot at winning a cup, Jeff. You've got to have an elite goaltender. They don't have that. You got to have to have like a Norris Trophy caliber defenseman. I think Dunn at least puts himself in that conversation. And then you got to be, you got to have two strong centers. So they've got most of the components. If they can, you know, look, they, they make life miserable against their opponents every night. They're not an easy out, and that's just something that uh, you know. So it gives them a shot. They're 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 a really good team to watch, and give credit to to Ron Francis for what he's done. You have a thought on Nashville, and most specifically UC Saros, who's having yet another Vesna Trophy type season. Um, you know, I was reading out at the beginning of the show here. I'll I'll, I'll grab it for you because I'm just I'm I'm so st- I shouldn't be, but I'm I'm still like so stunned. Um, at this one, sometimes things just sort of hit you in the face. It's a a tweet this morning from a gentleman by the name of C.J. Tortoro, who um, who uh, who is an analytics researcher and does a lot of work, I'm guessing, in the goalie space. And I'll read the tweet to you. No one has more goals saved above expected in the last decade than UC Soros on a Hall of Fame trajectory, and no one talks about it. One of the most consistently efficient goaltenders. Ever, and we saw more evidence of that last night as the Nashville Predators shut out the uh, the Carolina Hurricanes. Like, I don't think they get there. Like, that is like the hail mary of all time. But still, you have a thought on the Preds and UC Soros specifically? Well, I think what UC Soros uh, does is he he gives he gives hope to goalies that are under six feet, uh, or at least you know right around the. You don't have to be six five to play in the NHL. Uh, yeah, I mean, he's been, you know, he's been their best player. No, no question about it. How they're doing, how they're doing what they're doing, I don't know if it's teams that are just taking them lightly because in watching their games, and Jeff, you know, you see my setup, I, I'm watching a lot of games. Uh, oh, yeah. They, <laughs> yeah. You got a great one. You know, it, 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 it's just defi- you know, it defies odds that, they, that they're playing as well as they have. But here is where, you know, when, when, when kids, you know, when, when, when you hear that, you know, oh, you know, these teams should be playing for a draft pick, you've got guys that are playing for jobs, and they're playing hard. And there's, yeah. you know, there, there's, there's a, a will out there for guys like Evangelista who is trying to find a way to stay in the NHL. Uh, Tomasino trying to find a way to stay in the NHL. Uh, you know, don't don't underestimate them like the Golden Knights did a couple of nights ago because you're going to get hurt. And yeah. so they're playing hard, and you know they're getting saves. And so uh, I think it's interesting that they're doing it without you know. And you take a look at what's not in the lineup. Uh, I think you know it would kind of echo the the uh, the Aaron Portsline quote about how Columbus, you know, should be getting fined for not fielding, you know, an NHL roster if it was a preseason game. <laughs> I mean, Nashville's being forced to do yeah. that through most of this season. So credit John Hines and, and credit the guys for, for believing. Uh, their game against Winnipeg on Saturday, that, I mean, wow. Oh. You can't underestimate. Yeah, you know, if, if they win that game, ooh, well, that changes everything. Yep. 
And and you know what else it does? It shows you what the Winnipeg Jets are made of. That's why this is such a fascinating yeah. matchup on uh, on Saturday. JD, we got to let you go. And you're right. You do have the absolute beauty set up. If you want to see it, follow JD uh, on Twitter, the great Jonathan Davis. Thanks, pal. We'll uh, we'll check in soon. All right. Take care. Have a good one. Thanks for having me. Drive safe. Uh, Jonathan Davis um, from NHL Network Radio. Yeah, like, it, it's going to be tough, but a win on Saturday makes things real interesting. Hockey Night in Canada is going to be a great one again. Um, we have the Preds and the Jets. We have the Lightning and the Senators. The classic rivalry, the Montreal Canadiens and the Toronto Maple Leafs. And the Calgary Flames and Vancouver Canucks is your late game. Pressure, anyone? High stakes hockey, Anyone? Listen, thanks to everyone who stuck with me this week. I uh, had a really good time. Uh, went over a number of different things. It was a really fascinating week around the NHL. Glad you were uh, along with me, either live on radio or television uh, or listening to it on the podcast. It is always much appreciated here. Uh, I want to thank a lot of people. JD from a couple of seconds ago, Josh Getzoff, Peter Boggord, Stelic, uh, Jen Rolnick, Lance Kennedy, and um, Tristan Marcajani. I said it right. boy, Tristan. Pinch hitting today for Matt Marchese. Have a great weekend. No games tonight, 16 tomorrow.